Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Today on Anatomy of a Movie, we dissect Huntsman Winter's War, the prequel sequel to Snow White and the Huntsman. Stay tuned. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. Not only are we talking movies, we're talking Huntsman, the uh, sans Snow White, Snow White tale. Yeah. No Snow White, but we got a lot of other kind of snow in there, in a way. A lot of snow indeed, thanks to Freya, a.k.a. Emily Blunt. We have Marissa Serafini here today. Hello, everyone. Yes, and I'm, I'm back. And I'm Phil Svitek. Welcome. Um, much like 300, Rise of an Empire, this is a prequel sequel. Yeah, but I I liked this one, though, as a prequel. Um, prequel sequel. Prequel sequel. That's hashtag prequel sequel. Um, the, I, I saw the first one, and I wasn't quite sold on the first one. I mean, the, the first Huntsman was, in a way, visually, it was great. Music was great. Storyline, not so much. And I wasn't sure if it garnered or, like, deserved a second one. And sure enough, it made so much money, they're like, yeah, let's do another one. But finding out that there are better actors in the second one, I had higher hopes and expectations for it. I mean, you have Jessica Chastain, Emily Blunt, and Charlize Theron. I mean, they're just amazing individually. Put them all together. It's freaking awesome. So I was very excited to see this one. And um, I, like, I really enjoyed this one more than I did the first one. Yeah, I mean, th- this is um, this is one of those stories to me that the behind-the-scenes aspect of it is um, is in many ways more interesting than the movie. But I did actually – here's one of – I did uh, – I, I think the movie's not getting the recognition that it could – it's not – is it the greatest movie in the world? Not necessarily. No. But I think what they were able to do with it was fun where I think the problem lies is that it, it is tied so much into the first one. Um, in both, and I'm also referring to the scandal uh, of the first movie between Kristen Stewart and the director and everything mm. else. So there's just too much history um, from a behind the scenes perspective that bogs it down, unfortunately. Yeah, I get that too. But you know, remove the scandal esque problem if you want to, and then you add better actresses into this and i think it has a better potential chance of doing better but unfortunately i mean we'll get to it but i i think if you just take this movie as itself it's actually very entertaining i think so but i don't want i think one of the slight problems um overall it works as a standalone piece i think there's certain elements that slightly debilitate it from having that full like if it just 100 percent worked as a standalone piece, it'd be fantastic. Much like, um, again, 300 Rise of an Empire, I think, did that overall really, really well. And I thought this movie overall achieved that. But it was just those certain elements that you just needed. And, and I felt like without seeing Snow White and the Huntsman, you wouldn't have fully understood certain aspects. Yeah, I agree. And, it, I mean, it's we we both seen the first one, and it's been four years since the first one came out, so that's a good amount of time. I mean, granted, we've seen sequels that's taken more than a decade to be made, but I think four years is a good enough time to separate itself from the first one and have its own story. I agree. Um, also, by the way, taking a quick step back, welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the show. If you're returning, welcome back. If this is your first time, hopefully you guys enjoy what we're doing. 
We are very spoiler-filled, obviously. This is this assumes that you've seen the movie. And if you want to follow along, we have our rundown in the description, as well as the photos that we use throughout. So um, if you're listening on audio, you still get to participate nonetheless. Um, so let's start with the development of all of this, right? So it, it goes back to Snow White and the Huntsman. As things were all gravy, it was making a lot of money. A sequel was planned, uh, and then unfortunately the scandal came out between uh, between Rupert and Stewart. Yeah, I mean, and I think that's unfortunate that that happens. Things happen with Hollywood, but also you just have to remember four years was such a different time in Hollywood. So much things that changed. Kristen, Kristen Stewart, like she was on top of her game, quote unquote, because she had the whole Twilight series. So like she did on. As an interesting actor as she is, I don't think she's the strongest actor, but she did bring a following, an audience that in a way helped make the first movie successful financially that garnered a second film, despite a scandal going on. I agree. And and when we talk about the reception of this, there are a lot of there are at least one theory that says, you know, one of the reasons why this one didn't do so well is because the Twihards did not go out to see this movie in petition to Stewart not being in it. Yeah, and, but you know what? It You don't have to be a Twihard to enjoy this film. I'm not a Twihard, but I enjoy this film. You don't, but you can see how much people, you know, those Twihards love Kristen Stewart. Yeah. And, you know, now that Universal's never gone out and said officially this is why... Um, because of the scandal that they're not doing a Snow White movie, but you can pretty much re- read between the lines. Yeah, I agree. I mean, Twihards, they bring money to the Hollywood, so that's why they had four movies. I, yeah. think, I think it was four. <laughs> um, but anyway, so after it, 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 this kind of put it into a tailspin because a sequel was supposed to happen. It was supposed to be with Stuart, and then it... it uh, it kind of went into this weird realm. Um, oftentimes, you know, Chris Hemsworth would be asked, like, when is a sequel happening? Is a sequel happening? And he just didn't know. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, initially, Frank Darabont was was uh, supposed to be one of the directors to replace um, Rupert Sanders. Now, once they moved, once the scandal was out and, and moved away, and, and, and Frank Darabont was actually working on a, on a script. And for those of you unfamiliar, uh, he was a showrunner for Walking Dead, uh, and he's done movies like um, Shawshank Redemption. And that's a great film, too. And, and it, you, you know, just going through a rundown as well, you can see that the second film had so many changes just from the beginning. That, And I think that goes with cast changes, director changes, creative ways it, it changed. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's unfortunate, but that happens with a lot of films that you just change directors despite a scandal <laughs> i don't know i don't know about that i mean it is true that movies obviously change and evolve but the you know the the unfortunate circumstances that this was a forced change mm-hmm. right i mean creatively if you want to change things and and make them better and and things of like i call that evolution the creative um the creative process this was just what the hell do we do yeah but i mean and Darabont, he's busy with, you know, Walking Dead and whatnot. But I think they they found people who were earning, and writers too, but, like, they found someone who 
visually knows what he's doing, who's already part of the first one, who knows what the fran- the story in the franchise is. And you're referring is. to Cedric, who yes. was the visual effects director. Cedric Nicholas Troyon. And now he gets to... Uh, so Darabont leaves due to creative differences with Universal, unfortunately. And again, just it's just plagued by so much drama behind the scenes that that I think ultimately it, it isn't given the shot. And so now Cedric is able to come in and um, it's not basically, it, it's not fully a page one rewrite, but in some sense, almost a page one rewrite. But I think that's kind of good too, because that, that opens the doors for like newer stories or newer creative ways to make, already set story created by someone else different and your own i agree i agree with that sentiment um the only problem is now you've already wasted a certain amount of time going in a certain direction and now that's out the water and if you're trying to keep you know if you're universal the whole idea is to get this out as soon as you can so now just get it started really (laughs) we'll get it started but so the whole idea is now what you would have allotted for the creative process because the one thing that you know technology is allowed uh speed um you know and filmmaking and everything else but the one thing that it can't accommodate for is the creative process right it does mm-hmm. it takes it takes time and especially in the writing phase you want to whatever everyone has their different process some people are faster some people are, but regardless it deserves time and and, and at this point once Zerbont leaves it's not you're not afforded the same amount of time because I'm sure there's pressure from everywhere, especially you know um, onto Universal, and then Universal in turn then has to be like, okay, well, we got to get this out there. Yeah. What do we got? Yeah, but unfortunately, that sometimes that happens in Hollywood. I'm glad that they finally did settle on. Or I shouldn't say settle, but like they did find a director who knows what he's doing. And I'm, glad he yeah. I'm glad he was given a shot. I'm glad he was given a shot. You know when. I, I, I thought he did a good job overall, and we'll, we'll talk about Cedric, obviously, in, in more depth. But Yeah. Um, so let's talk about the, the writers that they brought in. The most Greek name I can look at, <laughs> Evan Spiliotopoulos. <laughs> Spiliotopoulos. The most, like I said, the most Greek name I can we'll look at. Evan. Evan. Evan and Craig. Uh, Craig Mazine. That's, that one's a little bit easier to say. Mm-hmm. I was, I was uh, you know, doing the research and stuff... Um, just trying to look at the credits and the writing histories and they you know they evan has done beauty and the beast and the the new live version he's working on that one and that hercules, has yet to come out though yes yeah, has yet to come out he's working on that one and craig has worked on which Hang- hercules Hangover. specifically because there was two the hercules rock. The, the rock one the rock one that i yeah. did not see I don't think I've seen either Hercules. <laughs> I know there's a title distinction from one Hercules I'll to I'll just say Hercules 1997 was better. Um, Craig has also worked on The Hangover 2 and The Scary Movie. So, like, both of them have, like, very... I, I think Evan might be more closer. But they've worked on very different type of genre movies. And to do something as kind of epic as Huntsman, I, I think it's a good feat for them. Yeah, I mean... As you mentioned, so Evan Evan's a lot closer to sort of creating a fantasy world, an epic, right? Beauty and the Beast, Hercules, mm-hmm. fall in that realm. When you think of Hangover 2 and 3 and then Scary Movie, Scary Movie is a parody. Hangover is comedy. So it's not quite in the same realm. Um, but, you know, if I had to guess anything, I, I think uh, Craig 
probably help punch up because Chris is a funny character in this movie, right? The Huntsman. Yeah. So I think um, that's where Craig's sensibilities would be best utilized is in punching that stuff up. Yeah, I agree. I think maybe the the because there was a lot of moments where we were laughing, um, but I think Craig might have helped with the the dialogue of the comedy when it yeah. came to the dwarves and stuff because I felt like the dwarves brought the levity to the show. Oh, they were they were fantastic, and especially Nick Frost. I mean, he's he's a comedic uh, comedic actor overall. Um, the Coronetto trilogy, mm-hmm. um, which includes um, uh, the World's End. Um, yeah. Why am I blanking? Anyway, check Shaun, out his stuff. Shaun of the Dead. Shaun of the Dead. That's it. Um, so obviously a very funny guy just in his own right. And then when you add that whole element to it, I, th- I thought it was fantastic. Yeah. Um, I, I think good on them because it's a fairly simple story. And you're also you're tying it in a way back to the first one. I, it, like, I did like how, and we'll get into it, but like the movie started off with 20 minutes of this is what's happening in this world. And we're going to get literally 20 minutes of a voiceover and narration, which a lot of times if you overuse that, it could be just like, okay, we get it. But I under, I clearly understood what was happening with this news story that they were establishing. Mm-hmm. So let, let's get into story, right? And we'll, we'll spend some time in, in this realm. Uh, one of the biggest through lines of this entire thing was Ravina's mirror. Uh, or uh, gong, as I like to call it. Yes, the big shiny mirror. Um, but you know, you you wrote in our uh, our rundown that it represents vanity, ego, and power, um, or evil power, as you so. Yes, <laughs> evil power. Um, I liked it because it was an element of the first one that they kept throughout. Because the first one, really, if I remember correctly, it you know it set Ravenna off on her path of trying to find you know, Snow White and take her down and take her out, really. But then I kind of liked how they flipped it and they used um, Freya to use that for her power, in a sense, and, like, send her army out. So uh, I liked how it went from, like, one character to another, but yet still represented the same evil power that both Ravenna and Freya had. Yeah, and I, I like that, too, and... Uh and coming into it with, right, I mean, you spoke about the voiceover. We literally enter with a voiceover and kind of we, we see the castle the way it is. And then this is pretty much one of the first things that we see is uh, is is her, the queen, and the mirror. And so, especially if you are coming into it, you know, because you like the first one, um, it gives you that familiarity right off the bat. And, and as you mentioned, then it... It can nicely shift tones because I think if, if it was just um, if if it didn't have that familiar element, it would just be too jarring initially. So it yeah. pays homage to the to the people that obviously saw the first one, and then the the, the new people. I think it works either way. Yeah, and I think it was just a cool visual element for the cold, scary world that was Freya's kingdom, and that was so gold, and it obviously stuck out visually. I thought it was. Just a nice visual element as well. Mm-hmm. So let's let's talk about the sisters, right? Um, you know, I thought even though the movie's called The Huntsman, I really did find the dynamic between the women, the three of them, um, to be very fantastic. 
Now, obviously, um, Jessica Chastain is kind of a victim of all. Well, it works in it, it, it's layered, right? So um, mm-hmm. Freya is a victim of Ravina. Uh, then Sarah is a victim of Freya because yeah. of Ravina. And Ravina is just the top one. Um, I I liked because you know going into this one, I didn't really expect so much Freya, but I'm okay with that because Emily Blood's amazing. But you know, watching it and we're probably like an hour into the film. I'm like, we haven't really seen Ravenna. And it's all about Freya. And then I realized the title of the movie is like Winter's War. It's all about Freya, which was great. And I think uh, because there is a sister dynamic, we knew Freya, uh, we knew Ravenna was going to come back. Yeah, and it, how did you feel? Because, um, you know, in the, in the first one, right, with Snow White, and, and obviously they took a very familiar story, um, and kind of twisted a little bit, but we, you know, there's, they're not sisters. There's no necessarily blood. You you understand? Okay, Mirror Mirror, uh, who's the fairest of them all? Oh, we got to kill this, mm-hmm. uh, this one for lack of a better term. Uh, whereas this, what Ravenna does in the beginning um, against her own sister, is very, very cruel, very twisted, and like that would have been your niece. The niece would have been the fairest of them all. And you killed your own family member. Terrible. And it just shows how terrible and evil Ravenna was. And But that goes with the first one because we know she was a terrible, evil person. That carries over to the second one. But, but again, you- it would have been different because this, well, we, we knew that in the first one uh, she was not so good to her brother. Yeah. Um, She's just not a good person in general. But she didn't necessarily... He was. I would say he was mistreated, but um, but I don't know. Uh, Freya was forsaken. Whatever, mm. like whatever the worst word of mistreated is. Oh, definitely, I agree. I agree with that. But my question to you is: Did you see that twist at the end when it was revealed that Ravenna was the one who actually killed Freya's child? Um, was that a surprise to you? Not necessarily, just because of the way things were going. Like the the opening scene between them was very harsh. Um, the way because because Ravenna brought it up of you know you're, you're dating this guy, uh, so on and so forth, and it wasn't. It was a great scene, but it was there was a lot of tension in mm-hmm. in there. So it was it was almost like tough to watch in that respect uh, because. Again, you think of sisters, they're supposed to be, you know... Loving. <laughs> yeah, and, and also th- this was now kind of the reverse of the chess game, right? So we just saw Ravenna use the chess game to basically kill somebody. Um, and now they're sparring, they're using it as a sparring tool. And, uh, you know, Freya calls her out like, you always let me win. And then Ravenna, it's the whole thing, like Freya's not tough enough. Um, and and Ravenna wants her to be a little bit tougher. Yeah, and I mean, I get that too. But I personally wasn't really surprised at the end because we didn't get enough screen time with Freya and her husband and her her lover more so. And uh, I didn't <coughs> believe that he would be an evil enough person to kill their own child. Yeah. It's like, that can't be right. And then when we keep watching the movie and Ravenna's gone forever, and I'm like, where is she? Uh, like, I had to believe that Ravenna had some part in Freya's being scorned and whatnot. 
I agree. And the, and the interesting part would have been, again, this is just kind of a hypothetical, but in, in Ravenna's own terms, um, if she wanted Freya to be better, that would have meant the destruction of Ravenna. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's what it would have led to. I don't know if she fully realizes that, but that's what she was really indicating. Yeah, but I th- I think it went well. Not to jump ahead, but like the way it went down, I think it was great that it was both kind of who's really equal in the end. Yeah. So let's talk. So you know, the whole t- she comes out of the mirror, and now she's brought into this. And you know, here's this great kingdom that Freya's amassed, and Ravenna just starts taking control, and then be like, "What? You're the you're the, you're the you're the master of this place. What? Just just do what you need to do. Go on." But you're doing it a little too slow, so I'm going to take over. It's just so... It was so amazingly condescending in mm-hmm. in, a, in a good way. I thought, again, in terms of the strengths of this movie, any time the women interacted in the movie, and especially those moments of Emily Blunt and, and, and Charlize Theron, were fantastic. Yeah, I, they're just great actresses in and of themselves. But I, I truly believe the tension between them. Because... Now we have the reveal that Ravenna was the one who killed the child. That, like, I believe that Freya felt so bad that she just wanted to straight up kill her sister. <laughs> and it was it was fun to watch as well. <laughs> Sometimes you just got to kill a sister. Sometimes you do. Um, yeah, and I think, you know, I, I don't think it was a big surprise in general that Ravenna was always alive. Now, granted, it was a it's part prequel. Um, and so you could say, oh, she's only in it for the prequel part but obviously if anyone's seen the trailers they know that Ravenna Mm -hmm. was always going to be in the movie towards the end in one way shape or form yeah and if you've seen like the marketing and whatnot all the billboard posters and and stuff like it's like you can't have Charlize Theron in only 20 minutes of the movie you just can't yeah Uh, so I I thought they were fantastic Uh, let's let's talk about the love story here Um, because that was it's kind of a tough one because how do you ban love? Um, you know, uh, this has been kind of compared to a, a similar to Footloose. Um, where, okay, where it was forbidden to dance. Yes, but. but that's a little bit more tangible. Whereas, like, no one can love. How yes. do you monitor that? Uh, and and obviously, how do you prevent that? Especially when you have so many, uh, like, literally, it's all just hot guys and hot girls, and all they do is work out. <laughs> like hormones it's gonna happen um i i yes i agree that was kind of i don't want to say ridiculous but a unbelievable kind of storyline that no yeah you can't stop love because it happens but i did enjoy jessica or, or <laughs> i should say sarah and uh eric sarah and eric sarah and eric i like them together because i believed a friendship when they were younger as kids and it grew to an adult yeah they they developed that really well overall um the part that um the the part of the criticism that i would have for this movie is um they do a really good job of establishing freya and with her power right um of the winter and cold and so forth Mm -hmm. um but the twist, right, and 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 even we just we were talking as we were talking about the betrayal of Ravenna, right? That was set up early on. The part, the twist that for the love story was a little bit 
I don't want to say far-fetched, but out of left field a little bit, was the, the fact that Ravenna, or, um, Freya changed up the ice to have different images on one side for Eric and, and another for Sarah because it's not a power that we were introduced to early on. At no point could we have guessed that. No, I like was. that too. But also as an audience member, I was like, no way are they going to kill Sarah in the first 20 minutes of the film. Um, but I like that because it also showed that Freya is not a character to be messed with. And if, because she is so scorned and whatnot and tainted by love, quote unquote, that like I like how she can turn that one thing that hurt her to hurt others. Mm-hmm. Like that's that's just being downright biatch. <laughs> that was very very cruel indeed. Um, you know, it, so you know one one of the things that you have to kind of also go along in terms of the love story is that now there's that whole chunk from Snow White and the Huntsman where Eric that's basically him without sarah right and he's Mm -hmm. now dealing with it and and moping and that's why he's drunk in the first one and now he's kind of getting over it right um and sarah comes into his life and he's all ecstatic however um she's not so thrilled to kind of go along with it and i wanted to get your take on that because it took a long time for them to rekindle it yeah, but it also took a while for the audience to realize that there were two different images that they both saw. And I like that because it made the audience wonder, like, oh, what happened? Because he truly thought you died, but yet she's angry at you for what reason? So I like that story reveal in a way, too. Yeah, and, it, and it, it, one of the techniques that works well is, um, you know, one of the different things, right? It would have been a whole different scenario had they shown us both perspectives. But we pretty much stick with Eric for this entire thing. And we get his perspective on it where mm-hmm. she is dead. We don't know her perspective. So you are right in that sense that it, that it works out really well as a technique of um, of getting ahead of the audience. Yeah. But I like the moment when they do reunite and whatnot. Granted, there's tension going on. But you could still feel that they both truly cared for each other no matter if they were arguing and whatnot and then you know obviously they work out their issues later <laughs> yes indeed um but it was it was it was good to kind of see that development of it um i really liked it i again um and you know maybe maybe you can call it a strong woman i i, I don't know what i would chalk it up to but i felt she was a little bit harsher on him because as soon as they did realize, okay, it was Freya that did this, mm-hmm. then you would think, okay, well, you know. Yeah, I get that. But maybe it was just enough amount yeah. for for her. Because it, I don't think it was over the top or like, okay, forgive him already, you know. I, because you did see moments throughout that uh, there was that gentle moment where she was like, oh, that medallion that she gave him that so there were moments that like tied their relationship like oh and it just showed like how much they truly mean to each other so for the moments that yeah she might have been a little harsh they were equally balanced by a a softer more gentle moment what i did like so speaking of the medallion i i I did like throughout their whole relationship the the medallion was obviously their symbol of love there it was their equivalent of a wedding ring um Mm -hmm. and they used these various (coughs) <laughs> symbols um and 
uh, motifs to, to really tie their love, right? So the whole idea was, I, I, I love the fact of she never misses. Um, yeah, I like And when too. she shoots him, again, I, if, if, you know, obviously, it's, you know, if you're clever enough, you, you know that, oh, she never misses. She figured out some way. One, um, or even if you don't, it's still an interesting moment nonetheless. And then you get the reveal of like, oh, she shot him in the medallion. Yeah, and I like that too because also medallions symbolizes their love, and because she hit the medallion, in a way, their love saved him. They saved each other. That's right, and they and and, and this time again, right? So what was actually so where where Freya fooled them the first time through visual manipulation, if you want to call it that, mm-hmm. they fooled her. her this time around because she was there and um sarah literally just shoots then gets and she played it so well sarah the character but also jessica the actress playing sarah of just turning away being so like nonchalant and upset about it Mm -hmm. and just being like okay it's done let's get out of here i agree i love that whole 10 second moment though because i think it was Visually, it was just shot beautifully from beginning to end where there, there was that slow moment where she actually turns to shoot the arrow and then hits him and then walks away. I thought it was awesome because, I don't know, visually, it just looked so cool how she turned and shot it in like one smooth, one foul swoop. It's great. <laughs> there you go. I can't disagree with you. <laughs> I thought it was I thought it was great. For some reason, that moment stuck with me throughout i mean there were other cool visual moments but that was just like the way they filmed it was actually really cool i agree um and i thought uh in terms of set pieces i really enjoyed obviously the ending piece um i thought the stuff that they did with the castle and then you know climbing onto the roof and then everything else and then the the ice wall eventually dealing Mm -hmm. with that um i I thought it was a great kind of ending and, and the way it tied everyone together yeah, and I think, you know, the just actual symbolism of a wall, you build up your wall, but you climb over it or you break through the wall. Um, so there was that actual literal element there that I think they really helped with the story. Yeah, and, and again, as I mentioned, I thought the women to me were, were very strong in this movie. So after Sarah shoots Eric, that whole dynamic of like um, basically being the right-hand person to Freya... Um, I really like that dynamic. Uh, you know, I thought I thought it worked really well, and, and they played with that. Um, and I think they could have gone a little bit more, but at that point, you know, the movie would have dragged, and so I understand why they didn't do it. Yeah. I also liked when, not to jump ahead, but when the mirror shattered, that was also shattering, just like evil, evil is being destroyed in a way. Mm-hmm. Not a cool visual. Yeah, no, absolutely, uh, and so I, I thought I thought it all worked out in the end, really, really nicely. Yep. Um, any other story elements um, that you want to discuss? I mean, overall, as you mentioned, it's a it's a simple enough plot, mm-hmm. um, which works to its advantage. Yeah, um, I I don't want to say this like nitpicking, but like I felt like the stakes weren't super high, though. How it, would you? Uh, it was more it, so like sister versus sister. Rather than sisters versus, you know, the lovers. Mm. And because they're on this whole mission of trying to find this mirror, it can't, <laughs> it can't get into Freya's hands yet. Immediately it does. So I felt like even when things didn't go their way, like 
there wasn't a big enough fallout or something. Interesting. Um, I mean, I, th- I think both movies in general have done a, a good job of laying out the land. And I thought visually, again, uh, yeah, I, I, I get what you're saying. Um, and you just kind of have to interpret that as you may. Um, by seeing all this land and things like that and how many um, things have been conquered right throughout these whole two movies, you kinda, mm-hmm. you're supposed to perhaps get the scope of what this evilness does throughout all of this land. To all the people. Yeah. Because, yeah. I mean, the, fa- the fact that Freya had, like, a huge kingdom in her own right, and it's up in the north, and yet Ravenna can have her own kingdom, and that's also huge. There's a lot of land to cover here. The Very stakes true. are pretty big. Very true. And, and we see in the first one, like, all, all the people who were part of Ravenna's kingdom, but, like, that had a downfall. Yeah. And then I didn't really see a full, complete downfall of Freya's kingdom. Well, we didn't need to because there was love a wins. resolve. Yeah, there love was wins. a resolve in that way. Um, so absolutely. Um, all right, let's talk about the specific actors. Um, Chris Hemsworth. Um, so here's a picture just for you, Marissa. Oh, thank you. Uh, oh, wow. I, you know, <laughs> am I really that shallow? <laughs> there's a picture of Chris and his abs. Um, hey, listen. No. I understand the appeal of those why are great abs. Those it, are great abs. <laughs> I understand the demographic for this movie is um, is female, and I understand this is why this is Chris's appeal. In fairness, I did not go to see this movie just for Chris's abs, which we did not see in this film either. Were you disappointed? No, not really. Fair enough. Well, the interesting part is Glamour magazine ranked him uh, number seven on their list as sexiest men of 2013. But it was behind his brother, Liam. Oh, wow. His younger brother? <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> wow. Topped by his younger brother. That's sad. Um, but, uh, you know, one of the things he does say, uh, all joking aside, was that, you know, he's known for, obviously, Thor and the Avengers. Uh, but when Rush came out, which I thought was a fantastic movie that more people should see, and we didn't, we actually did yeah. anatomy on that, um, it... People started considering him an actor, you know, because, again, this is like this picture in of itself proves like, oh, people just want, oh, he's a good looking guy. Let's put him in a movie. Um, But he can actually act overall. I agree. Rush was a great film, and it definitely shows that he deserves to, you know, be on screen and have better or like not that this was a terrible role, but like he deserves good roles, too. Um, For the Huntsman, I felt like there wasn't enough. (coughs) <clears throat> character I mean in the first one we got some backstories and whatnot. I mean, we got a little bit more of the Huntsman's backstories when he was a child and whatnot and the way he grew up the audience understood but I felt there were moments that like didn't really have to delve deep emotionally and and I don't think that's like a testament to Chris's acting because there really were no moments where he had to like really get down serious and raw and when it comes to acting yeah and you would think like on paper the fact that he lost his wife would be enough motivation to to go a little bit further i will say um you know we we also did in the heart of the sea and he was also in that Mm -hmm. i don't think accents work for him no i just i know he had an accent in the first one uh and so you obviously have to kind of carry that through but just in general it should just the 
get rid of the accent. Don't do accents. Like, just have plain English, the English that you speak normally. Well, he, and has, we'll be a, good. he has a thick Aussie ask, accent. So you, you got to give it to him for being an Australian man doing a Irish kind of. But accent. he does come from Irish heritage, so yeah, it's I a get, little bit different. I get that, but I don't think that deterred from the acting. Granted, there were some moments I'm like, uh, okay, that's her voice, but I don't think that helped or like did anything to the story. Well, the problem, is, I, I think the, the the ones that are putting on the biggest accent because I don't I don't remember an accent from Emily Blunt. I don't remember an accent yeah. from Charlize. So it's Jessica Chastain and Chris Hemsworth having accents, and it's so all over the board. Unfortunately, that that was the that that was a point of contention for me was just. Just don't do accents. Now, maybe for Chris, they, again, because you're locked in from the first movie, do it. But mm-hmm. you didn't need it for Sarah. No, you really didn't. Especially if she's such a brand new character, just, like, get rid of the accent. Yeah, I think the alone. only reason why they might have, maybe because she's redhead, I don't know. Who cares? <laughs> like, no one really cares because that didn't, again, add to this, this story. But if you're going to go off, like, visual land, it might make sense for the area that they're in. I don't care. Not in Louis. Here's the thing. We've seen terrible... Like, we, we've seen movies where there's, you know, they're supposed to have the most, whatever, let's say Hebrew accent or whatever. <laughs> I don't know. And they're just speaking English, plain English. And it works and it's fine. So I, yeah. I, 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 would, I would have highly suggested, if I could have, to not go with an accent, at least for Sarah. Yeah, I agree. I love Jessica Chastain as an actress, but her accent was all over the place, too. Yeah. It, it, she was the one I, like, her accent was the one that, like, took me out of the film. Like, mm, that does not sound like her. No. Um, one of the interesting things about uh, Chris that I found was in the first movie, he made $5 million. For Age of Ultron, he made $5 million plus back end. And then for The Huntsman, he made $10 million. Wow. So, well, good for him. Up. He's yeah, he's in, in a four-year span. That's pretty good for him. <laughs> uh, so speaking of that, this kind of ties into Charlize Theron, uh, aka Ravenna. Uh, because of the Sony scandal, uh, a lot of uh, emails were made public, and it, there was one about you know the pay discrepancy between Hemsworth and Charlize Theron, and so um, you know it, it was agreed that Charlize would get paid the same amount. As Chris Hemsworth, in this case, ten million. Well, good for her. I mean, she was a humongous story in the first one, and she really added to the second film. So, yeah, good for her. She Stand brought in the guys. The, the photo that that we have of um, of Char- Charlize right now, it's the uh, I call it the uh, the best commercial for dairy. <laughs> oh my goodness, milk. Um, no, because, okay, if, if you were a guy, right, in all the marketing for that movie, uh, it had her coming out of whatever that was. Yeah, yeah. Nude, but covered in milk. Well, okay, so in fairness, maybe the first one was that drew the male attention for Charlize, and then the second one was, like, the female for Chris Hemsworth. There, you have yours to draw in, and I have mine. There you go. There you go. I'm willing to admit it. Um, so... Anyway, she should get paid the same. Well, good for her. I mean, shoot, she she's a big character, and she's done uh, great, great acting, great films, and she's an Academy Award winner. So, yeah, she shouldn't have to be the one who's like, "Hey, 
um, I should be paid equally in this industry. Yes. Um, obviously, that is a big point of contention nowadays. Start, uh, I, not fully started by Jennifer Lawrence, but obviously she's kind of right part of the whole movement. Anyway, yeah. Jessica Chastain. Let's talk about her. An- another amazing actress. I, like, I, everyone's amazing in this film. That's That's just like... The star power in this film is ridiculous. It is. And obviously, you know, she's known for a lot. Most recently, The Martian, Zero Dark Thirty. I thought, you know, that was really fantastic. Her. Um, the Help. And uh, not as well known, but Most Violent Year. I thought she did really well in that, that movie. And it's a little bit underrated, so check it out. It's got Oscar Isaacs in it as well. Yeah, that was a fantastic film. Worth um, a watch. Her, like, fantastic acting on her in that film. Uh I think she's great. Um, it, we talked about it before our show. We were not in. A, we I think we were more surprised that like she played such a strong character, like warrior kind of character that us as viewers are not used to seeing her this kind of strong of a character. Uh, it's not even that. I mean, she played a very strong character in Zero Dark Thirty, <clears throat> and also in, in the Most Violent Year, but. I think maybe like strong physically. <laughs> maybe. I also think. I mean, uh, she was contractually obligated to do this movie, which is kind of strange. Oh, it, I, as delicately as I can say it, I'm surprised that they picked. Not again. She's a fantastic actress, mm-hmm. but from the perspective of a studio head, um, you would have thought that they would have gone for someone in their twenties. And one of the, the the reason why I don't think they went that route, I think they want because of the whole Kristen Stewart fiasco. Uh-huh. They wanted to get all actors, the the, the main actors, and now we're nowhere. Not to say it in the rude way. Again, I don't mean this in a rude way, but again, just if you know Hollywood, you it's not necessarily a normal casting to have Jessica Chastain in that love interest role. It's just not. That's yeah. why they picked Kristen Stewart for the first one yeah and i think that's also what hollywood always has this recurring problem is that there's such an age gap between the male lead and a female lead the female lead is usually always younger by a lot and i think that I mean, was jennifer lawrence right now she's barely 25 she, is yeah, she, even, she, she is 25 um but you get what i'm but, saying you know yeah, what i mean like, we've known jennifer lawrence for again, how many years at this point but you gotta remember like the the movies that Jennifer Lawrence is, and she's casted with Bradley Cooper, who's like 10 years older than there. And there's always a big age gap between the male lead and the female, and yeah. the female's always younger. And that was the what they had in the first film with Chris Hemsworth and Kristen. And then I kind of like the fact that they put two people who were Kristen around the same Kristen was 22 at that age, time. Yeah, she was young. Um, around the same age as this film. Yeah. And I think that, that made the relationship and just the love story more believable fair enough i just wanted to point it out because again it's not it's just unfortunately not typical casting yeah but all right if they were to cast someone who was younger i'm not saying they should have no no but like hypothetically if they were to cast someone younger at this time in hollywood who would you have who would be good enough or strong Mm -hmm. enough to portray other than Jennifer Lawrence. Uh, Let's just take her out of the room. No, no, we'll take her out. Um, Zach, if, if you're willing to help me, um, who's in the universal pool of actresses? Because it also comes down to that. Like, I could obviously name various actresses, but 
are they like in you know what i mean it's not that studios own act actors in the way that they used to younger 20s redheads i'm thinking like emma stone's coming to mind so yeah she she could be she's a great actress are we specifically looking for a redhead no but like 20 year olds who are who are very strong actors who can also be like physical as well um, it's tough. I mean, um, I'm trying to think. Yeah, because you also, but to a degree, you also need star power because they were yeah. able to use Jessica Chastain off the heels of The Martian to help market this movie. Um, so yeah, I'm trying to think of besides like uh, a Shailene Woodley, besides like a Jennifer Lawrence, who has that type of star power that could be considered e- equal to Jessica Chastain. I'm not. I'm not sure. I'm blanking on it. I think you got them pretty much covered. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> I um, mean, well, maybe, uh, um, oh my goodness, why am I blanking on her name? Uh, the, t- we've done Z for Zachariah. And oh, uh, Margot Robbie? Margot Robbie. Maybe. But, I like, mean, she's 20 and she, she's a very st- strong actress. Yeah. She's also very busy. Um, she yeah. is part of, she is, in the, you are correct. She is, because uh, uh, Focus was a universal picture. Um, okay. See? Yeah. Yeah, okay. I was just wondering because age difference and age uh, gaps that they didn't have in this Emma moment. Watson? What's Emma would be great. She's doing Beauty and the Beast. Um, anyway, there you go. Let us know your list. <laughs> um, there you go. Uh, so terrible. We're finding replacements for Jessica Chastain. No, but she's amazing. I'm glad that they got Jessica because she was fun to watch. And props for her. I mean... She looked great in the the wardrobe and fighting. She she was equally fighting right next to Chris Hemsworth and doing like everything that he was doing, probably in heels backwards, just like Ginger Rogers. But <laughs> I think she did a great job for what she was given for the character. They built, they already made her a strong character from the get go, and she was very consistent throughout the film. I agree. So Emily Blunt, let's talk about her. Amazing. I thought she did fantastic. Uh, I've seen just about. If not every Emily Blunt film ever made that she's ever done, like literally, and I own just about every movie of hers. Do you own Cesario? Sicario? Actually, Sicario. no. I have to buy that one. See, but I've I've either seen or own like all of her films. Well, some of them include Edge of Tomorrow um, mm-hmm. with Tom Cruise, Looper, and uh, one of the more famous ones um, for her out of the bunch is Devil Wears Prada. Yes, yes. Um, but she, she's great, too. She can do comedy, and she can do action. She's done a lot of action. Um, but I, I liked how she played a soft, um, jaded person, but it was so She's cold. kind of unrecognizable in a way. A little bit. Like, like I, 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 couldn't I didn't tell see from the- Emily Blunt. I saw someone who was truly hurt, this woman who's been, you know, she had a crappy life, and bad situations happened to her. And I, th- I think that was just great acting on Emily's part, where I saw just a whole different character. Yeah, I, I thought she did an absolute fantastic job. Um, and again, I think I think with with the makeup and the uh, costumes, which we'll talk about. Um, yeah, I, I couldn't. Re- I knew she was her, but if 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 I didn't know that, she I wouldn't have necessarily picked it out. Yeah. So kudos to them for for kind of transcending that um i liked cream freya though like just the character in and of herself because there were moments where she was in a way the mother nurturing but you couldn't trust her because you knew she had evil tendencies and then when someone pissed her off like she actually frees them like boom 
really cool. Really cold, literally. I think villains need to also rethink their strategy because she's amassing this army. And eventually, if she has her way, the world will end. Mm-hmm. Because there's no parents to make babies. And Well, yeah, and their parents are gone. Um, so, just saying. Might want to, you know, let's think long term here, Freya. <laughs> True. But I liked watching because we got so much time with Freya. And this whole, she's really the main antagonist of this film. Hence Winter's War. Hence Winter's War. But, so I was watching it, and I'm literally thinking to myself, I was like, is she, she's just as evil as her sister in certain ways. In certain ways, but not in all the ways. Yeah, not, not in, in all the ways. ways that truly count for evilness. But yeah, there were moments I was like, so who's really more evil, Freya or Ravenna? Oh, Ravenna by far. The, the difference is, right, uh, in this, so Queen Freya, right, every time she said, like, you know, no love and this, this and that, you knew in her heart of hearts that she didn't necessarily believe that. Or she didn't necessarily want, like, she, 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 she wanted to not like love, but deep down she really loved love and wanted to have love herself. Yeah. I Whereas th- Ravenna, you know, when she says, like, I hate everybody or whatever, like, take, you know, not that that necessarily quote from the movie, but you want, you believe her and you're like, oh, you really do hate everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I saw it from Fred that she was just very jealous. And that was the main reason why. Because, like, she wanted love so bad, but she couldn't have it. So because she couldn't have it, she didn't allow anyone else no. to have it either. She no. couldn't have it, no one else can. Absolutely. I, I 100% agree. So, you know what? She To me, there's no competition. She Ravenna is by far, she deserves death. Freya just deserves love. She just needs a hug. Yeah, she does. Maybe from the dwarves. <laughs> Those dwarves were so funny. Oh my goodness! All right, so I'll, I'll let you kind of take because you um, you did most of the research for for yeah. these guys. Yeah. So Rob Brydon, Nick Frost, and Alexandra Roach, you know, who played the dwarves. Uh, every single day, they had to go through um, two hours of prosthetics and makeup, and uh, and uh, obviously they are normal um, sized human beings that. Um, while they were, you know, training for this film, they actually went to dwarf school, which I find uh, fairly... It's like, how does one go to dwarf school, and what interesting things can you learn from this? But apparently, during dwarf school, they taught them certain ways how to, like, physically walk. Um, they, they changed their walking style to more of a waddling kind of back and forth. And then there were ways that they, like, you hold your arms to make them look shorter and less elongated. I'm like, oh, interesting. You would never really think that when you're watching that on screen. Well, they pulled it off, so I yeah. didn't know, you know. And I noticed them being great. <laughs> yes, that's very true. And then also, like, just the, the details and uh, they went for this film. Like, they even learned, like, true Elvish language for the film. Like, wow. Is there a true Elvish language? Apparently there is. Is it the Lord of the Rings language? Maybe. Um, very good. So there you go. Uh, so moving kind of away and, and, and from story and, and elements like that, let's get into some of the production aspects and let's talk about directing Cedric Nicholas Troyan, uh, who was the visual effects supervisor from the first movie. And now, uh, also might we add Oscar nominated yes. for that, uh, for the first one, 
for his efforts there. Also did the ring. Uh, Pirates of the, one of the Pirates of the Caribbeans. There's been so many at this point. <laughs> um, and this is his directorial debut. I liked it. it because overall, it was a big, it was a big spectacle kind of a movie. But there were so many moments where you can definitely tell that he wanted a certain. I mean, this kind of goes into cinematography too. Like the, he wanted the actors to look. And stand in certain ways just so it would make the visual effects look better on screen as well. And and I think that he really, because, uh, you know, I watched a few interviews with him too. He's like, I would have actors stand in a certain way and have the camera off on a certain distance so there would be enough space for a visual effect. And the, so, like, he would easily convey that message to the actors. Like, no, you can only, like, put out your arm this amount of of mm-hmm. distance. I was like, wow, that is so just the the visual element that he brought to the directing to the actors. Wow. Yeah, and I, I think I, I always like when uh there there's a crossover of someone doing a different job. Uh you know, Wally Cypher he did um what's, Transcendence. Transcendence, you know, and that was his shock because he's he's been working with Christopher Nolan for so long. But you know, I think I think for this one I do question you know stuff like that if he was too focused on the visual stuff and not enough um you know and maybe maybe it was an element that he wasn't allowed maybe he was too scared i don't know what the case is but really and especially when you're you're a first time director and you you're working with that star-studded cast um you can see like how do i tell them certain elements about acting right because they're supposed to they're the people that know how to act. Yeah. I'm the person that knows how to visually capture it. So why don't we just combine the two? And I think perhaps it suffered just slightly if he could have molded the performances. Mm. Well, I think they all, like, again, this was such a star power of cast. that I think they all just had their moments of awesomeness <laughs> themselves that they really didn't. Because they're all just, they have amazing accolades in and of themselves that I don't think that hindered their characters or their acting performances because they were all just individually awesome. Mm-hmm. Right. And then I think the visual effects kind of like helped balance out just how great of an actors everybody were. Well, fair enough. Um, well, they, so yeah, the movie was shot in England, you know, and I thought, I, I thought it were, you know, England, because I, I think to, part of to make this believable, you have to really capture something, you know, that fairy tale mm-hmm. style. And we've seen different um, iterations of it, uh, you know, throughout years, both in cartoon form and, and, and live. live action form. But I thought, again, in terms of visual, they really did capture it. And especially kind of, you know, what, what where they shot, uh, they, they shot, they, they chose their, their, their locations well. Yeah, I agree. I mean, like, basically everything was pretty much outside. I mean, there were some showdown moments that were, like, inside and interiors, but we saw a lot of landscape, and it looked beautiful. There were some moments where it was, like, super lush and colorful and bright. Because they're in the forest. Like, there's a lot of exteriors. in the forest. There's a lot of greenery, and then, you know, you go to another forest. There's a lot of woods, and that had a completely different look, and that was more frosty because... Freya came on the the screen, and, and part of it, like especially especially the moments when uh, when you have the narration early on, uh, you know, 
it's not necessarily a scene, but you need a visual representation of what's being said. And so those sometimes take longer to do because, you know, scene, once you kind of establish it, you can just have, you know, your master, your close-ups and whatnot. But when you're doing that voiceover, it was all pretty much just sweeping shot after sweeping shot. And they're like two to three seconds each. And <laughs> you have to also know, like, someone has to go out and film that. And that set up time for that two to three second shot is like, you know, it can almost be like a full day. Yeah, very true. But I think they use that very well. I mean, if you're in a beautiful place such as England and Iceland, because they went to a lot of um, uh, a lot of these shots for Freya scenes and whatnot, they they went to Iceland. Um, but if you have like beautiful locations, use them. Yeah. I don't care if it takes a day, use it. Like, <laughs> when are you going to go back for this? Um, but I I liked it. Um, and so uh, another kind of very Greek name, Faden Papa Michael. Uh, he was the cinematographer known for Nebraska. This is 40, Eyes of March, 310 to Yuma, and The Descendants. So a lot, uh, worked a lot with Alexander Payne. Yeah, but a lot of great films as well. So. Absolutely. I mean, th- those are all great movies. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so, yeah, he's, he's uh, responsible for capturing it. I liked it. And again, you know, there, there was that shot that I won't keep repeating it, but when Sarah shot that arrow... There were really cool close-ups and macro shots here and there that I, I really enjoyed as well. Yeah, and they, they, they did, you know, because as we, as we talked about the dwarf, the sense of scale mm-hmm. uh, was evident, right? They, they made the mirror look very... Huge. Yes, absolutely. And also the um, the little fly things, the, the monkey. <laughs> the little fairy, what do you call them? <laughs> yeah, I don't know what you call them. I, I don't think they've officially been given a name, but I thought, again... They were the scale was great. They captured it really, really well. Um, so I, I give them, I give them kudos to that. Yeah. Um, wardrobe. Colleen Atwood. Uh, there's a photo that we have of her with one of the costumes from the first one. Uh, so, Marissa, you like costumes. I'm just gonna let you have at it. I know. I really enjoy this um, because Colleen's worked on so many, so many great films um, i mean like uh i mean she's like she's received 10 academy award nominations so it's like this is definitely up her alley and she worked on the the first film as well but for let's talk about uh ravenna's gold wardrobe um for atwood had a feather room quote unquote and for the the Warb the the robe of Ravenna. There, she estimates there was five thousand feathers that were hand foiled in gold, and they were trimmed and mounted on a silk base. So it's actually very lightweight, but and it allowed it to move with the wind, which was pretty neat. And it strips of leather that are put together in a way that's a, like, in a sense, vertical Venetian blinds. Mm-hmm. And uh, when you when you look at it, it turns different in the lighting scheme. But it has a quality of liquid gold, which I, I definitely felt when we were watching Ravenna just walk around and like, whoosh. <laughs> That's all I can think of. Um, beautiful, though. and But as light as you think as feathers, it wasn't as light, but it was like 50 pounds. That looked like oh, a heavy rope. A feather is light. 5,000 feathers. 5,000. It's not. Adds up. So, yeah, it equaled out to 50 pounds, which is pretty cool. Um, for Freya's wardrobe, uh, she used more of a cool palette and uh, different types of materials like aluminum fabric 
and the bodice is cut is cut plastic, she says, and the tubing that they used, like, like the tubings that they use in aquariums, and silver leather. And some of the leather had spikes on it with aquarium toothing cut at angles and applied to the leather to look like ice. And um, she also said the way she she purposely placed them in like a vertical way so it would like show a direction towards the ice when it moved. You, you may never think that. And then also Freya's headpiece, she created out of tiny feathers that she actually printed from 3D printers. Got a lot, you know. What three uh, D printers nowadays? I'm I'm so amazed. What we're gonna be able to do with these things is just fantastic. That was a cool face mask, though. Um, she she said she kind of got the inspiration like Mardi Gras, but she didn't want it exactly looking like Mardi Gras. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, those feathers were printed out of three D. Holy crap! And she avoided any references to Elsa to from Elsa Fro- from Frozen. Understandably so. Yeah. Because she, there's already being comparisons made. Yep. And so you just try to fight that as much as you can. Yeah. And so Freya's skirt was made, also made out of aluminum fabric and to look like crystals. And, uh, sorry, the, the way that she cut it, again, it had a two-tone effect when it came to the lighting. So it would look one color, change a different direction, or look a completely different color. Awesome. Who thinks that? She does, obviously, but like you would never really realize that on screen. I'm just thinking, I, I will say, like, um, for better or worse, uh, if you're if you're a female, um, these types of roles are great. I mean, if you love wearing dresses and fun like wardrobes, this this is a dream. I mean, the, become an actor. <laughs> uh, you know, I was blown away by them. Dude, the wardrobe was so cool. Yes. You know, like Ravenna and Freya, because, and I love the completely different color schemes that they had. No, they had to, because one was one was all about gold. She liked gold, and the other was so um, literally cold. Yeah. So, but it shows it. like two evil characters who are like similar in ways, but so different, but still visually stunning on screen. Shoot. So I, I think it was very interesting. Um, good on Colleen. Very talented. Very talented. So we'll see. We'll see if uh, she gets a nomination for this. You know, I hope um, so. Usually, the, these types of movies hold. I mean, I, I say that because you know we're we're in um, April, and so it's a, we're far ways away from nominations. So some, sometimes movies early in the year get forgotten, but we'll see. Um, anyway, yeah. all right. Visual effects. You know, this was always going to be a strong point of the movie. Yes. And uh, and it and it turns out so. Uh, you know, uh, again very much fantastic and even down to you know again when you're kind of creating fairy tale you have to have those certain elements right we talked about the fairies and then the 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 polar bear that freya rides on yeah that was pretty cool um it's not quite a polar bear though it it was uh, i think i have it somewhere it's a mix between polar polar bear and snow leopard yeah that's it (laughs) um but again, you wouldn't really think that. That moment when Freya walks onto, you know, like, what was it called? Dario? Dario? What yeah. It, yeah. Um, when Freya walks into that scene, I kind of got a flash of the White Witch from Narnia. Mm. Did you think that? I thought that. I mean, listen, the, the, the whole idea of an ice queen is in so many different. So many different versions of an ice yeah, queen. Yeah. So, um, yeah, whether that one or Elsa from Frozen. It's all the same. Yeah. Um, 
Pretty cool. And then, you know, a little bit more about the dwarves and the forest perspective, like how they filmed it. They filmed it at certain angles on the actors to make them look smaller on screen next to, you know, Chris Hemsworth, who's so freaking tall. And then, so it's like, and I don't know if you've ever been to, I believe it's Universal or it might be WB, Universal Studios, where if you go on the tour, there's the forced perspectives of doors. And they called them the Nicole Kidman and Tom Cruise doors because Nicole Kidman's taller and Tom Cruise is smaller. But you put them next to each other, but on screen at the same angle, they look the same size. So, And they kind of had the same effect when it came to the camera lighting, that they were camera shots. They put the camera lower to make, or higher more so, to make the dwarves look shorter. Mm-hmm. Very neat. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, and also, let's let's talk about the Goblin King. Yes, that <laughs> it was funny. Um, Chris Hemsworth said in an interview that uh, he had really no idea what it was going to look like because during filming it was just a stick in a ball for yeah. like the eye. Um, you know, the as IQs. oftentimes it is. Yeah, but um, so double negative where uh, it was a big production company that worked on this for the uh, visual effects but they used um they had a stand-in who wore the the, you know the suit and uh, they captured in 3d position and um for the film and uh chris hemsworth said it looked super looked scary and the the look of goblin king they didn't they wanted it like a mix between like a monkey and what was the other one um Half human? Half human, half ape. That's it. There you go. And um, obviously one of the the things that you can imagine visually they had to make sure they got right was the ice, Freya's ice. Because if that fails, none of this works. Mm -hmm. Um, And I I thought they achieved that really well because it almost reminds you of shards of glass. um, You know, because of the clarity of it, the the, the reflections of it, um, and the way... The sound of it was made, you know. I, I thought I thought they did a really good job with that overall. I think it was so cool because the ice was scary in so many different forms that they used in this film to freeze people, to torture people. I think they really used the element of ice really well. Absolutely. All right, let's talk about the music. Um, so. I- you know, uh, oftentimes when we talk about composers, uh, you know, everyone know, at this point knows Hans Zimmer, and there's there's a few others um, that are equally yeah, recognizable. John Williams mm-hmm. and Ennio uh, Morricone, but James Newton Howard, uh, I don't know if he's necessarily considered a household name, but I think he should be. He definitely should be. I mean, his repertoire is crazy. He did all four of the Hunger film, uh, Hunger Game films. And he, and he did the he did Batman Begins originally with um, Hans Zimmer. Yeah, and he did the first um, Snowman, or Snow, Snow <laughs> the White, and the Snow White Huntsman. Film. Yes, uh, uh, he did Blood Diamond, uh, the Leonardo DiCaprio movie. Yeah, so yeah. he's he's done uh, he's been around the block, definitely, and to the point where like broadcast music incorporated is presenting him with a career achievement at the you know the BMI Icon Award. That's going to be held in May of 2016. So he he's getting recognition. That's he, for sure. As he should be. I mean, very very well deserved. Um, fantastic, fantastic um, composer in his own right. And um, you know, just in general, I mean, composition now is, is 
is just fantastic. I mean, the fact that we have so many uh, Christopher Leonard's we we talked about. Mm-hmm. Um, we um, who's our friend who also edits um, John Ottman. John Ottman. So there's so many. It, it's great to see. I mean, the the fact that people are starting to kind of have composers be you know almost like household names besides just a John Williams or Hans Zimmer. Um, mm-hmm. So if you haven't checked out his scores on any of these movies, definitely recommend doing so. And um, I thought with this movie, did a good job. Absolutely. Did, did, and like, yeah. I, I liked Castle's song that we hear in the end credits. You heard it at the beginning of this podcast that, you know, the Castle song that he partnered up with Halsey, the artist as well. Um, that was the credit song I really liked because even in the first film, I loved the music as well because the credits of the first film was with um uh florence and in the machine which fantastic i listened to that song on repeat it was amazing and and i i liked how the end credits of this film kind of had the, an awesome music score to it as well mm-hmm. indeed so uh definitely worth checking out uh, just for that so let's talk about the promotion of all of this um you know, uh, very much as we talked about, uh, they they use the star power of this. So there's mm-hmm. a bunch of posters that we have, each one kind of highlighting the the various characters, and there's one kind of all encompassing with everyone. Um, Universal is one of those comp- one of those studios that doesn't put out their marketing budget. However, it's estimated uh, based on good analysis that it's about 70 million was put into this now some are speculating that it might be slightly less only because universal uh whatever did, didn't necessarily they knew that it wasn't necessarily going to do as well so they didn't want to necessarily put too much to marketing so mm-hmm. all that to say we don't necessarily know the budget but to the best guess that we can educated wise it's 70 million there's still a good chunk of ch- that's yeah that's a good amount but also i mean you have a better start started cast in this film i saw promotions and just like physical prints and promotions in malls and stores and movie theaters since like november december 2015 so they've been promoting this film for a long time i agree and you know it was um it was good. but here's the problem right Kristen Stewart, I think, unfortunately, is bigger than Emily Blunt and Jessica Chastain. Mm. It's just, I mean, think like the twi- yeah. It's hard to agree with that because financially, the first one did do better. You know, I mean, there, there's there's literally an article um, that came out, um, and I have the link for it um, included in the, in the rundown. But yeah, that. I don't know if this is 100% true, but if the Twihards are rebelling against this movie because Kristen Stewart's not in it, and they're not seeing it, mm-hmm. but this this article makes uh, a, a great case for that. Uh, because if we talk about the numbers, right, uh, not so good. Right now, worldwide, mm-hmm. 102 against a $115 million budget plus an estimated $70 million for Marketing. Marketing, yeah. So they, they, they unfortunately still have a long ways to go. And um, the way but it's... It, I mean, if you think about it, for a film, that's not terrible either, though. It's not, but you have a lot going into... I mean, the yeah, first one made ended up It had a big overhead, that's for sure. Yeah, I mean, the first one made, what, $400 million? 
or yet around 400 million. So, uh, and th- this could make back, you know, they're estimating that it could make them up as 30 million in um, home sales, which includes DVDs, which includes rentals, so on and so forth. Yeah. Um, so it'll, it'll also have stuff there, but um, I mean, just in terms of the opening weekend, it was down 65% than the original. Uh, so and that's a big gap too yeah do you think it's also because like granted you take Kristen out but a four year difference as well from the sequel to the I don't think it's necessarily that I you know I will say the the one thing that it's not its own fault it it's going up against the jungle book Mm -hmm. dear lord (laughs) everyone loves that movie the jungle book yeah yeah but everyone loves the jungle book that was great film (laughs) so you know, it's one of those things, like, when would you have put it? I don't know. Maybe you put it earlier. You, I would definitely not put it anywhere closer to um, to, to, to Civil War. No. And then you're getting X-Men. Like, you know, I wouldn't go anywhere near the summer months. Uh, yeah, it's, it's I mean, they could have released know. it maybe in, like, October, November, winter. Yeah. <laughs> winter going off of winter. Yeah, but I, they weren't ready. They weren't ready. Yeah, they weren't. Uh, I, I, maybe February would have worked, but uh, you know, it just—I—I it, I, I think it's just a, a lot of unfortunate events. But it's, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, though, seventeen percent on Rotten Tomatoes. So critics are not liking this movie. No. That's like certified dead. That's terrible. But honestly, I think this film deserves way more than seventeen percent. I wouldn't I, give it as low as seventeen percent. I think critics. I I I think critics could have given it like a forty-five. Yeah, at least I would say like anywhere from like forties, fifties. Yeah, but not seventeen. That's just like a low blow. That is a terrible low blow. Um, cinema score not terrible. It's a B plus. B plus, yeah. So um, I it, think that's probably what I would give it. It's yeah. not a terrible score either, though. No, I, I think the I think the B plus is much more reflective of where it is as a movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, I think just in general, uh, right now because of the critics, it's getting slammed, and also just the Jungle Book. Just, yeah, that's Jungle it. Book. Jungle Book. Um, it, it's too good. Uh, but in terms of having another franchise, but really, this, like. What kind of demographic is the Huntsman bringing in? Would it be the exact same demographic as the Twihards? I think so. Yeah, it's fantasy. I'm, I'm just wondering. It's like, do you, because we have more, like, a, you know, you have Charlize, Emily, and and Jessica Chastain. I feel like they're bringing an older demographic, too, because they are so... Uh. Acting-wise, I feel like they might bring, like, the 30-year-olds. Nah. Not so much. I guess not. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think I think this is definitely the last Huntsman, Snow White, we'll Movie. see. At least from Universal. And it might get revamped, rebooted in, in some way, shape, or form. But I think, I, I think in terms of this universe, it's over, unfortunately. Yeah. 
But I did enjoy this film because I've wanted to see this film for a long time. And yeah. like I, I knew when this they were filming this because I am a big fan of Jessica and Emily. Like I follow their careers. They're, so like I, I knew that there, there was a whole second film and I was very excited because to know who was in it and then actually see it now. Overall, it's not a bad movie. No, and, and the nice part is regardless of what actually may happen, it feels complete. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and so... I, I I can walk away with it and, and whatever the problems may have been, I can take one and two and be like, okay, they told their story and they overall accomplished their goal. So I can be happy with that. I think so too. And I think the storyline for this film, there was a resolve at the end too. Nothing Absolutely. was really left open-handed or like open-ended more so. Yeah. Because, you know, and we told, if nothing else, through the two movies, we've told Derek's story. Yeah. And, and you know, now we know. Yeah, Ravenna is complete. She's gone. <laughs> she better be. All right, so um, that about does it for us today. Uh, let us know your guys' thoughts in the comments section. That's why we love doing what we love. Uh, that's why we love doing this because we talk about it. We kind of di- obviously dissect it. We go in depth with it. Mm-hmm. But you guys get to participate, and whether that's live, whether that's right after, um, you know, it's kind of posted on demand. Or just six months from the time the movie came out. Uh, the movies obviously are very much evergreen. So at any given point, once you've seen this movie, just comment and, and let us know. Let us know your guys' thoughts. Uh, I, I enjoy discussing this. Let us know what you thought the strengths of the movie were, what the, what the faults of the movie were. Would you like to see a, a third one? If, and if so, what could be an interesting storyline? Um, I, I think that could be fun. If this is your first time joining us, thank you so much. Hopefully you'll come back for more if you're returning. Uh, you know the drill. We appreciate you guys coming back. Um, and come back next time you see a movie that we talk about. Um, in the meantime, Marissa, where can people follow you? You can follow me on Twitter at TV. That's right. And follow us here at The Popcorn Talk and Movie Anatomy. There's so many great shows that we have on the Popcorn Talk Network. Uh, Meet the Movie Press, Jedi Alliance, Action Movie Anatomy, Otaku Movie Anatomy, Video Game Anatomy, a lot, <laughs> a lot of, anatomy. of anatomies. Uh, but even in there, we had DC Movie News, Marvel Movie News, uh, Disney Movie News, so on and so forth. And right now we're playing Let It Go because there's been so many comparisons made to uh, Elsa <laughs> and Freya. And we're going to let you go, and we're going to let you let us go. Bye. From producers Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the rest of the Anatomy of a Movie staff, we would like to thank you for listening and subscribing to the show. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to email or tweet us. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been Anatomy of a Movie.